Welcome to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams. She is author of the ebook Getting Into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and I'll be facilitating this conversation. And um, this podcast is just really helping you to navigate not only getting into kindergarten in New York City, but into other grade levels as well, just pretty much navigating the system. And Alina Adams is a a savant extraordinaire (laughs) when it comes to this process. So previously, uh, we talked about private schools. Today, we're talking about public schools. Alina, first thing when when a person gets a home is they're looking at location, location, location. How does that work for you, or how doesn't that work for you with the New York City public school system? Well, first, let's break it down. We have the boroughs. Each borough is split up into district. Each district is split up into zones. When people refer to your zoned school, they're referring to your local public school. Now, keep in mind that may not necessarily be the school that's closest to your house. Just because the school is across the street from you doesn't necessarily mean that it's in your zone. In my book, Getting Into NYC Kindergarten, you can click a link and you can enter your address and you can find out exactly what school you are zoned for. Zones get changed very often, so just because your next door neighbor sent their child to a particular school does not necessarily mean that that is still your zoned school. Always check it out. Do real estate agents know which zones are where? Real estate agents know, but they can't tell you. There is actually a law that prevents real estate agents from telling you information about your local public school. (laughs) Wow. So, so much for we're looking for a school. We're looking for a home near good schools. They can tell you what school you're zoned for, but they can't give you any information about it. All they can tell you is um, look it up online. Okay. So that's zones. What about districts? Zones make up a district. Some schools give preference to the people living in the zone. There are some schools that are called unzoned schools, and they give preference to districts. There's also three districts in New York City that don't have zoned schools, which means basically anyone from the district has the same chance of getting into school as anybody else. So there are unzoned districts, and there are unzoned schools that give you preference if you live in the district. Okay, um... Now, what are the districts that don't have zones? There's uh, one in Manhattan, there's one in the Bronx, and there's one in Brooklyn. You would have to see if you live in one of those. Here is the thing, though, that's the scariest part about living in New York City. You are not guaranteed a spot at your zoned school. If you read the way that the law is worded, you are guaranteed a seat but it does not have to be a seat at your zoned school. And every year, very popular zoned schools, usually schools in affluent districts, schools with very good test scores, have kids waitlisted who live in the neighborhood. 
kids who should be going to that school, but there just isn't room for them. So do not, under any circumstances, think that your zone school is a slam dunk. Do you have a very good shot of getting into your zone school? Yes. Is it 100%? No, it is not. Always know all your options. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book and why we're doing this podcast is so that people can know that they have options. Okay, so you said there's a very good chance. Are there, is there kind of a list of priorities of who gets into schools? There is. The very first priority goes to siblings of children already in the school. The second priority goes to children who live within the zone. So if you live within the zone, you have roughly a 90% chance of getting in. But for instance, this year in District 3, PS199, a very popular school on the Upper West Side, waitlisted families. The families complained, the families protested, and towards the end of summer, they let in 12 more children. They have six kindergartners kindergarten classes so that's two more kids per class but there were still kids waitlisted so even though they expanded the seats there were still children who were zoned for that school who did not get a spot okay um what about uh i guess are there different magnet schools or, or whatever in the area there are magnet schools Here is the thing about magnet schools. Most of them give priority to people in the district, but magnet schools are schools that are usually created to attract more students to the school. That's why they're magnets. They're supposed to pull more people in. So as a result, a majority, not all, but a majority of magnet schools are schools that were not doing well, schools that parents did not want to send their children to. So these magnet schools received a grant. The grants are for a few years to implement a program that would attract more students to the school. There's, for instance, the Museum Magnet School, the Young Diplomats Magnet Academy. The idea is they will create unique programming that will attract families to the school. But the thing to remember about magnet schools is, A, what happens when the grant ends, B, It takes a while to turn a school around. Now, some schools have done it in two or three years, Mm -hmm. but other schools, two or three years is not enough time to turn a school around. So parents looking at a magnet program should know what year of the magnet program they're entering and think about what will happen down the line. Okay. Um, And applying for kindergarten, Kindergarten Connect. Can you explain that? Kindergarten Connect is a form that was created by the city. You fill it out online. It is only for general education kindergarten. It is not for gifted and talented. It is not for charter schools. You can put magnet schools on it. Kindergarten Connect has 20 spots where you can rank schools in order of your preference genuinely rank the schools in order of your preference. Don't try to game the system by thinking, well, this school isn't as popular, I'll put it second because other people will put it, no. Genuinely list the schools in order of your preference because you will be given the schools in order of your preference. Whichever school you put first, if your number comes up and there is space, you will get. So put the schools in order of your preference. Keep in mind, 
that if you are placed in any school that is not your first choice, you will automatically be placed on the wait list to all the schools that went before it. So if you are given your fifth choice school, you are automatically waitlisted for your choices one through four. You can put schools from anywhere in the city. If you live in District 1 and you want to put down a school in District 2, you can. Just keep in mind that if it's a very popular school, it probably won't have room for all the kids from District 2 that want it, much less a child from another district. So you're free to put down the schools in any order you like and any school, but priorities still hold. Okay, a lot of information. Still got a little bit more to talk about, especially like placement and the impact of moving into or out of a zone. Uh, we'll discuss that when we come back. Hello, and welcome back to Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman. And we just left off talking about zones and districts and just getting into the system. So going back to zones and districts, what are the, what's unzoned and what are citywide unzoned? Uh, it, it's still a little confusing. Basically, your zone school is the school that you are going to be put into if there is room. That is your zone school. As we mentioned earlier, that is in no way guaranteed, but it is a school that you are most likely to be put into. On the other hand, there are unzoned schools. For instance, in District 3 on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, there's Manhattan School for Children. It is an unzoned school, which means that any child in District 3, regardless of where they live in District 3, has about as much of a chance getting in as any other child. To give you an idea, they usually have about 600 applications for about 40 slots because it's a very popular school, but a child's address within the district does not affect their placement. It's a pure lottery. You also have schools like Central Park East 1 and 2, which are uptown in Districts 4 and 5. Again, these are schools that offer priority admission to children within their district. If they are not filled up by children within their district, then they open up and you could be citywide. You could live anywhere in the city and apply for a space at the school. Okay. So what is the benefits, non-benefits of moving into a zone and then moving out of the zone? Well, first of all, people ask me, when should I move into a zone in order to have a good shot at a place at my zone school? The fact is that when you fill out your Kindergarten Connect form, the address you put down is not checked, which means that any address you put down is the address that they will use as a reference to placing you in the zone. However, when you come in in the spring to register your child, you must have proof of residency. That can be a utility bill, that can be a lease, that can be something on your employer's letterhead. In the book, I have a list of all the things that you can bring as proof of residence. Now, if you move out of the zone after your child has already been accepted, you are grandfathered in. You may remain at the school, but any sibling that you want to go to the same school will now be considered an out-of-zone sibling, not an in-zone sibling. So as an in-zone sibling, they would have had first priority and very likely gotten into the school. As an out-of-zone sibling, they now go behind all the in-zoned kids. So your odds of getting a second child in become a lot lower. Okay, 
um, you mentioned a sibling out of zone. And we have, you know, a lot of families where siblings may live with parents in different spaces. Are they allotted some element of priority or, you know, what is the priority breakdown? Well, you're going to need to pick one address for your child when you're applying them to school. You can't put down mom's address and dad's address and see which one gives you a better offer. You have to pick one, so please make that work for you. Pick whichever address is the one that's going to most likely get your child into the school that you want. Okay. All right. Um, Now, can you tell us a little bit about the application process and um, how can you boost your odds? Well, first of all, living in the zone is the thing that's going to boost your odds. Being a sibling is even better. (laughs) So basically... If your child is in a gifted program at a certain school, their sibling still has priority to the general ed within the same school. So it's very, very important in New York City that you have your smartest child first. Okay. Um, I wanted to double back with um, the zoning and the districts and maybe not being able to get into the school that's closest to you. So transportation, I mean, you know, we're talking five-year-olds. Here's a problem. The Department of Ed will only bus your child within your district, which means that if your child goes to a school outside of your district, they will not provide transportation, unless it's a special needs case, but that's not what we're talking about right now. So children who get into school outside of their district, whether it's a gifted and talented program, a magnet program, or any other kind of program, if it's outside of their district, the DOE will not provide a bus. Now, um, you're trying to get into the school in your zone. It's closest. You don't have to bus your child. You don't have to slap your child halfway around um, uh, around town. Um What if you don't get the school that you want? Well, as I said, with Kindergarten Connect, any school that you placed ahead of the school where you were put, you automatically go on the wait list. And here's the thing. The first round of admissions is centralized and done by the Department of Ed, which means it's done by their computer with a magic algorithm that nobody knows. It's like a crystal ball. But the wait lists go back to the schools, which means the schools administer their own wait lists. Now, you're not going to find this in any handbook or any official policy, but I would not say that the schools follow a strict cue when it comes to wait lists. The fact of the matter is, if just like with private schools, if you write polite, well-worded, non-threatening letters to the parent coordinator, you are much more likely to get into the school, especially if you talk about skills you have that might benefit the school. For instance, can you come in and do a gym class with the kids, a music class with the kids? Are you very good at fundraising? That's certainly something the school wants to hear. If you can get a friend to vouch for you, you will get into the school ahead of people in the queue who may not have used these tactics. Okay, I'd like to get into that a little bit more as well as other options and programs within the schools when we come back. Welcome back. To Accepted Secrets of New York City School Admissions with Alina Adams, author of the ebook Getting into New York City Kindergarten. I'm Victoria Chapman, and we've been talking about public schools and placement and zones. 
And now we're talking about you haven't gotten on the school into the school that you want. You've been put on the wait list. Let's go back. What are some of the ways to get in? What, what are some ways to navigate that wait list, to work the wait list so you can get where you want to go? Well, in addition to sending a polite and say about once a week, you don't want to bombard them, email to the parent coordinator offering all the services that you could bring to the school, you could also get a friend to vouch for you because the fact of the matter is the people who work in the office do not want to spend all summer making phone calls asking people, do you want the spot, do you not want the spot. If you have a friend that will come in and say, this is a good person, they're a great family, they really want to be here, if you call them right now, they will take the spot, they will call you right now and you will accept the spot. I know one family where literally the woman kept them on the phone while she ran out of her apartment to run to the school in order to fill out the paperwork. So this is exactly the kind of family that they want. Also, if you have I don't know, particular fortitude, you can try something else that I know has worked for people. I know of families that have literally shown up in a school on the first day convinced that someone won't show up, figuring, you know, people sign up and then they move or something happens and they never bother to inform the school. So I knew one mother who literally showed up on the first day and said to the principal, come on, there's going to be a spot and I want this for my child. And the principal said, well, it's only the first day. I can't give away the spot. So she came back the second day and said, come on, someone didn't show up. Give me the spot. And the principal said, two days. I can't do this. She came on the third day and the principal gave her the spot and she got her son into the school that she wanted simply by chutzpah. That's tenacity. Okay. So that's what to do if you don't get the school that you want. You try work that wait list. Now, what are the options within a school? Are the different types of programs... What are they? Well, there are several options that parents can try within a general education program. For instance, there are dual language programs. They are in Spanish. They are in French. They are in Korean. They are in Russian. They are in Urdu. They're all over the city. Most schools either do the curriculum one day in English and one day in the second language, or some schools do say the morning in English and the afternoon in the second language. They're teaching the exact same curriculum, they're just teaching it in two different languages. Now, if you would like your child to be in a dual language program, here are some things you can do to maximize your chances. The goal of a dual language program is to have 50% of the kids who are native English speakers and 50% of the children be ones who are native speakers of the second language. That very, very rarely happens. It's a pipe dream. So if your child is a native speaker of a language or at best has some comprehension and knowledge with it, for instance, let's say they speak Spanish with the babysitter or you've spoken French to them or read French fairy tales, the schools are usually desperate enough in some areas to yes. get the, that that will qualify as being a native speaker. And if you say that your child is a native speaker, they will get priority into the program. Now, do know that once you are accepted, they will test your child. And if they determine that your child is not an adequate enough speaker, okay. you could lose your seat. Here's something else to know about dual language programs. In the past, you would put a dual language within a school as a separate 
line on your kindergarten connect form. For instance, there's a school on the Upper West Side called PS84 that has a mono-language program, a dual-language French, and a dual-language Spanish. So in a way, they were three different programs that you were ranking on your form. Last year, literally in the middle of the application process, which is actually a reason why I made getting into NYC kindergarten an e-book, because when things like that come up, I can go in and make changes right away. If it was a print book, there's no way. Anyway, in the middle of the application process, the DOE decided to change the way that you apply. Now you have to first apply to the school, and then once you get into the school, then they will decide whether or not you can get into the dual language program. Uh This was actually very problematic because there's a lot of schools where parents only wanted the dual language. They didn't want the mono um they didn't want the mono language. So some parents I know gave up a spot in the school with the dual language program because the school could not guarantee them a seat in the dual language program prior to other schools needed to be informed whether they wanted to go there. So this was quite a disaster this year, and I'm not really sure whether that's going to hold going forward or they'll go back to the old system. But the most important thing to remember right now is if you want your child in a dual language program, it would be great to get them exposure to the language beforehand so you could claim that they had prior knowledge and could actually count as a non-monolingual speaker. Okay, so essentially with this, 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 this change, they'll be assessing attendees in a school not really aware of how many of them might want dual language. Yes, it, it was a very bad idea. I, I, My gut says they'll probably change it, but the DOE does a lot of things that I consider are a bad idea. So. Okay. Uh, there you go with that. Are there other um, type of options to consider within this uh, other programs? Well, magnet schools uh, fall into that as well. That There's sometimes magnet programs within schools. So those are the ones that might do um, the curriculum through a particular emphasis on arts or sciences. So you might want to look if, if the school, if your local school offers a program within the general ed program. Okay. Now, um, before we get ready to wrap up, I wanted to respond to a question. You talked about zones and uh, impact of moving into a zone or out of a zone. What about lying and saying that you live someplace in a particular zone just to get access to the school there? Do people lie about their address in order to get into a school? Yes, of course they do. Do people get caught? Sometimes. Do people get caught all the time? No. The fact of the matter is sometimes a principal of a school is actually very happy to have such a motivated parent there that they'll look the other way. Conversely, have I heard of principals doing drop-in visits on um, people claiming to live in a certain area and checking to see if there's toys and children's clothes around? Yes, I've heard that as well. It really comes up to uh, how uh, how much you can stomach. And also things like, do you want your child to lie? How are you going to have play dates for your child? How are you going to have people over? How are you going to get busing? You can't very well ask to be bused to one address when you've given another one. So there are definitely drawbacks to lying about your address, but do people do it? Yes. Does it work? Most of the time. Okay. Well, that wraps up this podcast for today. When we come back for the next one, we'll talk about gifted and talent education. Thank you so much, Alina. Uh, Where can they get the book? 
The book is available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and if you go to my website, alinaadams.com, you can see all of my upcoming free workshops where you can hear even more from me, this time in person. Great. Thank you. Until next time.